back to Rivals of the East. I'm your host, Buzz, with co-host Sean. Sean, what a day, my friend. You know, everything happens for a reason. Oh, is that? Yeah. And do, you wanna, <laughs> do you want to know why I say that? Why? Because we were supposed to record last night, and uh, as I was pulling triple duty and taking care of my sick family, um, I passed out uh, and got some sleep, and I woke up this morning, and lo and behold... Um, it was definitely a twilight zone because typically in, in an AFC East fashion with scandals, uh, usually I would be asking you what's going on <laughs> being a Patriots fan. But today is a little bit different, Sean. You, you're on the other side of the aisle being a Patriots fan. And here I am uh, sitting here with this whole thing with Stephen Ross and the Miami Dolphins that broke today. Uh, we'll get to that. Yeah. <sighs> Essentially, got caught tampering with Sean Payton and Tom Brady, which we spoke about before, and which was broke earlier this year by Mike Florio over a pro football talk. Before I get into reading uh, some details on this, Sean, what are your initial thoughts and reactions when you see breaking news? Miami Dolphins stripped of a first round, a third round, fined $2 million, and our owner, Stephen Ross, is suspended for six games. Um, same as Deshaun Watson, by the way. What do you not think enough? Not enough, quite honestly. Um, I'm not really sure where the NFL like. I'm I'm really curious to see like how their rulings and their rule and the rule book kind of works. Like, is there some kind of chart where they go, okay, for per player, per coach, this equals this much for sentencing? Like, how how do they just like pull this out of thin air? And come up with these decisions because they seem to be all over the place between sports gambling, sexual allegations, dogfight in rings, quarterbacks deflating footballs. Like I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, it makes no sense to me. This, it really, it really doesn't. It's so much of a twilight zone. So like we're caught with tampering and essentially cheating while you guys are on the other side of the aisle going like, how could you do this? No, and then ben I, I, I don't know. No, no, no. And then Ben Roethlisberger's out there talking about a division rival saying like, we can't have sexual predators as the face of the <laughs> NFL. Well, I'm like, you even, what? you even have Robert Kraft coming out and saying, uh, this is an embarrassment by the NFL. And I <laughs> just rub go and tug himself. And I just go like this, you know, huh? I mean, it was consensual in his yeah. case. <laughs> it's true. Uh, at least it was that. And as for, and as in for legal allegations, he, charges were dropped on his case. As in you have Deshaun who actually paid off the said problem. So we can't all have that craft cheese money, Sean, but I want to read you an article here from ESPN. This was uh, just came out earlier today from ESPN uh, by Marcel Luis Jacques, who wrote the NFL notified the Miami Dolphins on Tuesday that the team would be stripped of its 2023 first round pick among other disciplinary measures for violations of league policies relating to the integrity of the game. 
Following a six-month investigation, the league found the Dolphins, primarily team owner Stephen Ross and vice chairman, limited partner Bruce Beal, violated the anti-tampering policy on three occasions from 2019 to 2022 in conversations with quarterback Tom Brady and the agent for then New Orleans Saints coach Sean Payton. The article goes on to say the NFL over found no evidence that the team intentionally lost games during the 2019 season. In February, former Dolphins coach Brian Flores said in his lawsuit alleging racism in the league's hiring practices that Ross attempted to incentivize him to tank or purposely lose games in layman terms, right? Shortly after he was hired in 2019 and with Ross allegedly offering Flores $100,000 for every loss that season. Flores alleged that as the team won games late in the season, Dolphins general manager Chris Greer told him Ross was mad that the on-field success was, quote, compromising the team's draft position. In addition to the first-round pick, the Dolphins also forfeit their 2024 third-round selection. Ross, meanwhile, was fined $1.5 million and suspended through October 17th, during which time he isn't permitted to be at the Dolphins' facility or represent the team at any team event. Was he even at the facilities anyways? He so shows up to watch the game. That's that's the biggest thing I want to touch on. And it's the same thing that goes with Robert Kraft, deflating of footballs, all that nonsense that kind of took place. You banning a coach, GM, owner, please, very, very, very little impact. Okay, if you want to say, oh, coach, and I'll play calling, and let's be honest, if if you're an assistant head coach or as such, how much of that is really being done by the head coach and only the head coach? The communication still getting there. The yep. decisions are still made. An owner probably has the least amount of play in that, unless you're Jerry Jones, who just wildly makes decisions for his head coach that's the only case i think that really probably happens but i I, it's a slap on the wrist yeah and quite honestly it's pretty stupid because the fact that you had sean payton and tom brady with the same agent and you double down that stupid decision if you're gonna do something like that you better get the guy that's that's all i like it we got shula in my opinion we got yeah, Shula. Yeah, that was the best Shula. first round pick we ever invested so far as a team. Um, I This is the way I look at it. Um, uh, I'm not going to read the rest of the article, but it, it does go on to talk about that Goodell called the league's finding unprecedented, right? And that the integrity of the game was the most important thing. And I'll get to Stephen Ross's statement and Brian Flores' statements here in a moment. But um, with looking at the lay of the land with what this does, Finding Bruce Beal $500,000 and keeping him keeping him away from facilities, as well as Stephen Ross, which $1.5 million is a tip. It's not even yeah. one of his yachts costs. I mean, to me, when I look at this ruling, um, the people who get hurt the most are people like me and the Miami Dolphin fans. We're stripped of a first-round pick, our first-round pick. Now, we still have the 49ers 2023 first-round pick. We don't know where that's going to land. But still, two first-round picks in a very deep draft at quarterback when we have questions there still. I know people are hoping Tua pans out. Obviously, I hope Tua pans out as well. But it's nice to have an insurance policy. And if he does pan out, you have two first-round picks on a depth uh, offensive line draft class coming up and some other areas that we could really use the improvement on. This is a hurtful tactic to the fans, 
not to the owner getting a slap on the wrist for you can't be at the team facilities for six weeks. He wasn't there for eight weeks without it before. You know, you can't you can't expect as a fan to be happy with this. You can't be as of the NFL or the Dolphins. You can't expect to be looking at this right after the Deshaun Watson ruling that they just had, which I understand the NFL is looking to appeal to be making him a scapegoat. Right. But this is my other point that I want to make too. this lawsuit. The, I find it funny how they found all of this stuff pertaining to the just the Dolphins and Stephen Ross, but anything that relates to the integrity of the entire league, which was you're paying to lose games. Yeah, you know, the bigger topic, the bigger issue, you know. Uh, they um, said the context was not there. It could have been – it was made in jest. Like, what? Yeah, and, and here's the thing. I don't even give a crap about Deflategate when that happened. The bogus three, like, you know, there's there's science in elementary done that explains exactly what happened in that situation. But that's besides the point. The point is, is that they made an example of the Patriots. They took a draft pick. They took money and they suspended Tom Brady for maybe in a way of affecting the integrity of the game. So they made that point then that it was very serious You had a player, Calvin Ridley, who was betting on his own team, uh, minuscule amount of money. Yeah, it was pretty stupid. 14 games? Not 14 games, stupid. Where's the correlation between those two? And then you have, you know, Ross, who, as an owner, it's just such a, you're a bumbling idiot, a buffoon, to come out and go, well, at least um, I didn't get charged with, you know, being <laughs> racist, discrimination, or the fact that we're purposely trying to lose games. But uh, yeah, we're pretty upset with the ruling with uh, uh, the, the draft picks and tampering. You're upset with the fact that you got caught. You don't give a crap that you did anything wrong. Right. And I still think in the Brian Flores case, that is more than a coincidence that there was a specific amount of money. You know, the conversation between him and Greer, like there's there's crumbs. There's crumbs there. Yeah, Brian Flores didn't construct this to get back at a team that he was looking for a job. Why would you do that unless you felt there was some real wrongdoing going on there? Why would you hurt your potential to be a head coach somewhere else? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't. And I'm going to read both statements real quick, Sean, from Stephen Ross and Brian Flores. Uh, First being from Stephen Ross. Stephen Ross put this out today to issue a statement that says, quote, the independent investigation cleared our organization on any issues related to tanking and all of Brian Flores' other allegations. As I have said all along, these allegations were false, malicious, and defamatory. And this issue is now put to rest. With regards to tampering, I strongly disagree with the conclusions and the punishment. However, I will accept the outcome because the most important thing is that there be no distractions for our team as we begin an exciting and winning season. I will not allow anything to get in the way of that. End of quote. Now, before we break that down, Brian Flores also issued a statement. This is the dynamic you can see in the difference between both of these statements, right? So that was Stephen Ross's statement. Here's Brian Flores saying, I quote, I'm thankful that the NFL's investigator found my factual allegations against Stephen Ross are true. 
At the same time, I am disappointed to learn that the investigator minimized Mr. Ross's offer and pressure to take games, especially when I wrote and submitted a letter at the time to Dolphins executives documenting my serious concerns regarding the subject at the time which the investigator has in her possession. While the investigator found that the Dolphins had engaged in impermissible tampering of quote, unprecedented scope and severity, end of quote, Mr. Ross will avoid any meaningful consequence. There is nothing more important when it comes to the game of football itself than the integrity of the game. When the integrity of the game is called into question, fans suffer and football suffers, end of quote. So they basically both saw the ruling and got two different views out of it. So which is it? I... Brian Flores is clearly more concise and more concerned about the bigger picture. I just wish the NFL could understand that. But let's be honest. I'm not stupid. You're not stupid. The NFL commissioner answers to the 32 owners. Stephen Ross is an owner. So unless yep. all the other owners at that table make the same decision and decide that Stephen Ross is no longer, you know, fair to be put there. And uh, they force him out and make him sell the team, which seems to be the case that they think he's valuable enough that they kept him around because uh, it wouldn't be the first time that owners have sat at the table and have looked at someone and say, this guy's got to go. I don't understand why would you want that to be compromised, even if other teams are also guilty of that, is the fact that the fans and even the players know. I think that's a problem because how many teams do you think are going to sit there and go, now I have players that are second-guessing the coaches, the owners, and the decisions that are being made. Am I also, you know, like a victim of that? I'm, I'm here for a job, and I want to feel like what I'm doing for my job is meaningful when your job is purposely trying to set you up for failure. Does that sound like a job you want? Well, here's the other side of it, too. What this clearly states, okay, and listen, regardless of what you think as a football fan or especially a Miami Dolphin fan of Brian Flores, all right, if if you think that firing him was the right choice based on poor offensive decision-making, I can agree with that. If you believe that he had a bad relationship with Tua Tagovailoa, yeah, he did have a bad relationship with them. So if there's merit to those things, obviously there are, and you believe that it was the right decision because that's fine. But putting on a tinfoil hat and saying that he's making things up and conspiring with Bill Belichick to get back at the Dolphins and Brady, I think that's excessive. Here's the big thing, though. When I'm looking at this statement, by this press release, by the confirmation of these stories of the tampering going on with Tom Brady, which was more extensive than I thought back to before Tom right. Brady got his get out of jail free card from the Patriots three days prior to that, by the so, way. So just to add a little sprinkle on that, I did yeah. see a little piece on that is actually when when the 2019 comment did come up, um, it there are reports that are actually saying that the Patriots countered offered uh a two-year, 40-something and change million, and that is a ghost contract. Didn't exist, apparently. They did that and threw that offer out there just to make it seem like they gave a crap and they actually wanted to retain his services, but that was found to be patently false. So, Gotcha. Um, But this just screams to me that Tua Tungavailoa, Mike McDaniel are plan B. They were not the first choice to run this team, 
to operate this team, to be the face of this franchise going into the 2022 football season, it was supposed to be Sean Payton and Tom Brady. With that being said, I want to ask you this question. How do you feel is Tua and your barista as a head coach? How does that make <laughs> you feel finding out the news that you were plan B, essentially? I think that for Tua's sake, um, he's faced a lot of criticism already. But I also feel like it adds another layer of pressure for him to succeed this season. And not only succeed, but um, exceed expectations of what he should be playing at and what level that is. Mike McDaniel, I'm not, it's hard to get a read on him because, again, he's never called plays. He's always been with Kyle Shanahan. And for as many things as when you listen to him talk, that he seems like he has a good head on his shoulders. He's a smart football X's and O's guy that from that tree. We don't know how he will respond to pressure. We don't know how he will handle a locker room that's in situations uh, particularly like this. Um, we don't know how he will react, and I don't know. But I can tell you as a first-time head coach, you obviously don't want something like this. You obviously want to keep teams focused and players focused. But you have to think with your two of though, I think it's far worse because you have Tyreek Hill putting the pressure of saying you're the most accurate quarterback in the NFL on your back. You also have many people that do doubt your ability, but also those who don't, and they're trying to build you up. There's also a level of it too, where they'll take it to the extreme. I think what we're going to see this season is it really is a make or break season for us as a franchise, because if we don't have the success that we need to have with Mike McDaniel and Tua at the helm, I would not be shocked to see major changes in the 2022 going into 23 offseason. I don't know if Tom Brady and Sean Payton will even be on the table because of this. I highly doubt it. But I think it could potentially, if we don't have this work out, if Tua doesn't perform, if Mike McDaniel doesn't get to that level as a coach that people are saying he can be, then this franchise is going to be in a bad, bad position for the next three to five years at least because – our capital to move up next offseason to snag that quarterback that could potentially be that replacement we're looking for, that's out the window. It's going to cost us a lot more, plus the picks we gave up for Tyreek Hill in this draft coming up yeah. in 2023. So I think it adds an extra layer of pressure for both of them, particularly for Tua to perform. That's how I look at it. Yeah, um, there's a ton of pressure just on Tua just for his past performance, you know, his injury status since the time he was in college coming out. Um it's unless he proves them wrong, this pressure is can't be considered anything other than negative. Um, now, unfortunately, the league took an L on this. The players took an L on this. Tua took an L on this. McDaniel took an L on this. And the fan base ultimately took the biggest L, I think, with this situation. Nothing good is coming from this. You didn't get Tom Brady. You didn't get Sean Payton. You lost picks and you're stuck with your worst option, essentially. And then I look at it this way. You put it out there how many times it said, this is our quarterback, Tua. Right. After Brian Flores was not there, after he was fired, there was a lot of PR work to say Brian Flores is this particular yeah, type of guy. They, they you know, threw the dirt on him, essentially. They're, they They aired out all the laundry, right, wrong, or otherwise. It, that's doesn't matter what matters is that that was the pr campaign they ran and what did they do they doubled it 
down and they came back and they said, we support Tua. Tua's our guy. We don't want anybody else. Well, clearly that's a lie. Yeah. We wanted Mike McDaniel. We felt he's the right choice for this organization when they did the hire earlier this year. We needed a fresh face. We needed somebody who's going to come in and invigorate and reinvent. No, it wasn't. Guy with no experience. I mean, come on. If anything, that just tells me, do you know who our choices were? When the Dolphins were dragging their feet through the hiring process, they were the slowest to move team, one of, if not the slowest, the only slowest team, excuse me, being the Houston Texans because they were under uh, their own type of pressure and scrutiny. But you had the Dolphins dragging their feet. Our choices were Kellen Moore, Mike McDaniel, Dan Quinn backed out. Vance <laughs> Joseph was on the table, uh. but not in a serious way because that, that experience has already been there with him as the defensive coordinator under Adam Gase as a head coach. So our realistic options, we were down to Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator for the Cowboys, and Mike McDaniel, who was the first-year offensive coordinator for the Niners but did not call plays. Kellen Moore calls plays. So why would we go with somebody who has less experience? Well, you can make the case and say we wanted somebody with more of a run game focus who came from a certain coaching tree that we might trust more, that we believe in a little bit more. That's fine. But I, with this lawsuit, with the tampering that's going on, I can't help but feel like you just hired this guy as a placeholder. That's just how I look at it. Like yeah. You hope, hey, let's throw it at the wall and see if it sticks. If it does, great. We look like we're genius, right? But if you look at it and say if it doesn't stick and it just slides down the wall all the way through 18 weeks of the season, now you're going to be in a worse position because you can't even go after the two people that you try to. And what you get to show for it? You lost two draft picks, valuable draft picks, at $2 million. Come on. Yeah, did you know who took the win on this out of all this? Who won uh, this? I would say probably the Bills. I was saying Bill Belichick. <laughs> I mean, Bill Belichick, the Bills, all the Bills. I mean, come on. <laughs> he accidentally sent out the text that went, yeah. Whoops. Now, <laughs> I, Flores, whoops. <laughs> you know, we're one, and that's okay. If I'm going to put a tinfoil hat on for something, it would be for Bill. I think Bill's smart enough. To be able to do something like it that. almost sounded too coincidental. <laughs> Wrong, Brian. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Tom Brady was involved. Oh, gee. Sorry, Tom. Oh. No other quarterback I'd love there have been. Don't you do it. <laughs> you can't tell me that Bill Belichick was not aware of things going on in 2019. Yeah. yeah. You can't but, tell yeah, me that. There's, there's something there. I, um, when I found that out... Oh, Let's talk here real quick, Sean. I break this down for a timeline of events real quick before we get into what it means for really the Dolphins as we had into this season, the offseason. So this whole thing, according to the reports that came out from the investigation, say that the initial tampering happened with Tom Brady. That was in August of 2019. At that time, he was still a New England Patriot. He was under contract. Of course, he was entering his final season as a, a Patriot. Um, he was approached then, obviously, from the sounds of it, from reports, from the timeline events, he pretty much made up his mind. Miami was pretty much going to be it. He's really good friends with Bruce Beal. It just uh, his wife Giselle is really good friends with Bruce Beal's significant other. I mean, it just makes sense. They've been talking for quite a while. Uh, if we look at the next point of contact, we look at tampering that happened in 2020 while he was on the Bucks again. 
we're still looking at this timeline events that it's still consistent. They're still staying in contact, right? 2021, the same thing, um, as well as this past January. But if we look back to 2019, Brian Flores was brought in as the head coach of the Miami Dolphins and possibly the worst roster that we've ever had as a Miami Dolphins team. We finished 5-11 and 11 that season. We wind up beating the Patriots. We have Ryan Fitzpatrick at the helm at quarterback. We have a good draft pick, obviously not the draft pick that, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Stephen Ross wanted. Stephen Ross originally reports came out that he wanted Joe Burrow. Um, and then Tua was also on the board for discussion, but that was his first choice. Points came out. We tried to trade for Cincinnati to move up. We were going to give three first round picks. They didn't want to take it. So they drafted Joe Burrow in 2020. Uh, rest is history. Tension started to boil with flow and with management of front office really in that 2020 season. Because as we look at how when Tua started to come into the fray, it was exciting at first. I remember watching that Arizona Cardinal game when Tua was playing out of his mind. Like he was tit for tat with Kyler Murray. He had 300 yards that game, big comeback win. Him and Flo had the game ball exchange. It was like a father son moment almost. And everybody was excited. I was excited. Things really started to get sour not too long after that. We started seeing Tua get pulled. Flores was putting Fitzpatrick back in. The team believed more. Reports came out that they were more behind Fitzpatrick than they were Tua as a leader because they felt that was their best choice to get into the playoffs or option to get to the playoffs. Uh, obviously, we got some cool moments like the Braille Mary and the Oak, the excuse me Las Vegas Raiders game um, inaugural season. Face mask throw in the deep pass, right? Uh, it really started to come to a head, though, 2020 going into 2021. Things soured between staff, front office. Flores started to feel uncomfortable there, so, you know, according to reports. Not to mention the tensions between Flores and Tua, the offensive changes in staff. There was a lot of questions around that. Defensively, they stayed roughly the same. Later on in the season in 2021, Flores stripped. Of course, uh, reports say that accordingly that Brian Flores stripped Josh Boyer of play calling after they were starting one and seven. And then that was the only major change to the defensive side of staffing, but offensive side was a carousel, three offensive coordinators, one offensive coordinator. We don't know who's calling plays Tua was hurt again in the Buffalo game early on. We were playing with Jacoby Brissett. We were having a tough time going down the stretch. We just losing game after game. We lost to urban Meyer. Oh my God. Um, I want to forget that. That's so, yeah, a highlight of all. I never want to watch that or see that score again. Uh, it, I mean, Urban obviously loved it. I mean, he was grinding in the bars. Yeah, grinding with someone, all right. Yeah, uh, whatever. Uh, whatever floats your boat, Urban. Who names your kid Urban anyways? What a horrible name. You have nine months and you come up with that. Give me a break. So as you get down, I think what the real boiling point was in the turn of events that it started to pick up was the Tennessee game. We had that chance. We were still alive in the playoffs. Could be our own destiny. It was coming down to the last two games, Titans and Patriots. You know, that we were talking about this too. Like, hey, if they can beat the Titans and beat the Patriots, we're in. And we got blown out 34-3 in that game. It didn't end well. And Guys I couldn't beat the uh, dual threat quarterback that is Ryan Tannehill. He can run like a running oh. back and he could pass like a... <laughs> Yeah, someone sent him to his therapist. Okay. I'm tired of hearing about him. But it was at that point, there was a lot of things going on. There was locker room issues with Tua and Flo getting shouting matches. 
you know, flow is obviously gone, I think, at that point in, in their minds. And I think that they believe that, you know, Peyton and, and Brady were probably going to come yeah. too. Just Yeah, I, th- I think one of those comments that was floating around that time when um you said they were in screaming matches is when Flo uh, made the comment, yeah, you know what? Should have never drafted you. We should have drafted Mac Jones instead if I knew you were going to play like this. Oh, God. <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> well, they say he wanted Herbert. They say he wanted Mac Jones. I don't know. You could you could choose whatever you want to believe because you can never get the final say on it. You can just go off reports. But one thing is for certain, obviously the relationship wasn't good. It had soured at that point. There were no game ball exchanges anymore. But I feel as though you know, we wouldn't even be having this conversation and people wouldn't even care about mentioning Brian Flores to like, whether they say they, you know, hope he fails. They hate his guts. A lot of dolphin fans are putting the blame that we lost these picks on Brian Flores. Um, Whatever you want to say about it. We wouldn't even have those discussions. If we have Tom Brady right now and Sean Payton, I I just tell you that much. We had, we got Don Shula. Nobody cared back then. You get the guy that you're after, nobody's going to care now because tampering happens all the time. It's just a matter of yeah. we were dumb Un- enough. Unfortunately, to get that would have put me in one of those very uncomfortable situations if I was back there in Miami watching the Patriots play them with Tom Brady <laughs> in a Dolphins <laughs> uniform because you know me, I'm just crazy enough. I might like lean over the end zone and st- be like, you fucking piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, okay. So, timeline of events, we kind of talked about that. Sean, I'm going to ask you, what do you think this means? Looking at it as a Patriots fan, what do you think this means looking at it for the Dolphins in 2022 season? And then what would that then mean for the 2023 offseason? So I'll give you my thoughts, but I want to hear yours first. I think this is setting them up for failure. I I just can't see. The players are going to probably try to sit there and come out motivated. They're going to, you know... Tua is going to probably sit there and think, you know, no one wanted me. I was lied to. I'll prove them. I'll prove to them that I was the better choice. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the pressure is actually going to collapse, and I think it's going to be mentally frustrating to him and the team. Um, I think this is a lose-lose situation for McDaniel because, you know, he he's sitting here having to deal with decisions his owner made. <laughs> um you know, there's going to be a convoluted message. Maybe he even doubts himself. So I think ultimately this is going to be a lot of pressure and it's going to have a lot of conflicting emotions in that locker room. And I can see if the record isn't going the way it needs to, I could see this team getting off the rails real quickly and uh, losing control. And I think with losing the picks for the future, you know, the third, is it really that detrimental is the first? No, probably not necessarily, but Considering it could have been on the higher end of the draft pick spectrum, depending on what the 49ers do. Um, I think that hurts that next piece they probably need. In my opinion, that's probably a left tackle, quite honestly. Right. And so the way I'm looking at it is if you are McDaniel and you have these situations you're facing, you know, What happens, like, you're trying to instill, because obviously he's been very, very supportive, so is Tyreek Hill of Tua, but what happens when your quarterback is going to be under such a microscope this season? Because I don't think any quarterback is under the amount of pressure that Tua is, or the microscope that he's going to be under this season. I really don't 
believe anybody else comes close to that. I think when you're looking at, especially now with this thing breaking, right? And I look at it like, hey, you're trying to build this young guy up. You're trying to get him motivated to say, I want you here. This team wants you here. But then you have the owner who's out there, like what, five, six, seven months ago, talking to Tom Brady, talking to Sean Payton. He didn't even want you as a coach. Like, yes, you could sit there and say, I'm going to prove you wrong. But at the end of the day, you're working for the guy who didn't even want you originally. So and not to mention, let's not forget on that defensive side and even some on the offensive side, there are still Brian Flores guys there. How do you think they feel seeing that the coach that they trusted or they believed in was fired and now all this stuff is coming out and he was right about these things? Uh, maybe not on everything conclusively, but clearly there was some validity to the things that he brought forth according to the investigation. So how do you think that makes them feel? I mean, that's got to be tough, too. Like, like I said, it, it feels like there's a web of emotions, none being positive. Unless they build off the pressure and they you know, prove the doubters wrong. I don't see this being positive in any way, shape, or form. If, they, if you win, everything goes right. That's right. I mean, yeah, that works who's no matter gonna, what, I feel like. If Miami can come out and go 3-1, and 4-0, and oh, you know, may, maybe 2-2. Two and two. You know, I think you still have to have a winning record coming out of that first four game stretch to to build some momentum. Uh, I think you could really silence a lot of that, and you could get that culture going. You could get that motivation going to say, "Yeah, we're proving them wrong." See, we're a young football team. We're fast. We got all the speed. We've got a quarterback. If they come out in that first game against New England and it's a loss, and it's one that is like you should have won that game, because people are saying it right now, Miami should beat New England. You know, um, it's going to be hard. Yeah, Patriots defense. I'm going to tell you in that secondary, it's right for the picking. <laughs> well, we'll find out real quick if Tua yeah. is what they say he is. And if Tyreek is what he says Tua is. So let me ask you, Sean, what would it take for you in that game? As we kind of wrap up today, what would it take for you in that first week game with two against your secondary right for the picking, as you say, to impress you and show you? That hey, Tua could could be that guy. Tua's definitely stepping up. Um, not turn over the ball. That's honestly that's the biggest thing I could say right off the bat. He could probably have not even like a great game, just an okay game. Not turn over the ball because that's something that seems to be an issue with him. Is um, you know, just holding on to the ball, whether it's making bad decisions, forcing it when he shouldn't under throwing them, leaving them wide open. Um, just just make quick decisions, get the ball out, make a lot of completions, and uh, hitting the Patriots deep when needed, when presented, when yeah. presented, because it's going to happen. I'm telling you right now. I want to see 300 yards. At 300, um, yeah, I would agree with that. 280, I see. 300, yeah. If, I, I think If I think we're looking at 109 yards again, or if we're looking at 180 yards, with a touchdown and a pick, I'm not going to be impressed. Yeah, they, they have no chance in beating the Patriots, I think, unless they're able to pass 24 points. Yeah, I, I think it's they're going to have to exceed 24 points, and they're going to have to give up, obviously, less than 20, I think, because you don't want to keep it too close. You need a two-score game. Because honestly, um, I think the Patriots are probably like a 
22, 23 point team this year average. I think that's what we're going to see. Nothing great, nothing special gets the job done. Most days, if you can winnable, you know, keep it clean, not turn over the ball like crazy. Like we've seen in past years. Right. Well, uh, we were originally going to be coming at you today with training camp notes, but obviously since Stephen Ross made a big boo boo, <laughs> we had to change gears here, but we'll be coming at you again here soon with another episode. Talk about our training camp. Uh, reports that we found, of course, uh, most teams are starting with pads. The uh, Patriots started with pads earlier than the Dolphins, but Dolphins did start with pads this week as well. Uh, again, you can find us. We're going to be putting this episode on YouTube in full, so you can check us out on YouTube. We are on Instagram, Podbean, full episodes as well on Apple Podcasts too. Uh, appreciate the follow. Give us a review as well as subscribe or like. Besides that, we appreciate everybody's time. And until next time, everybody take care. See ya.